is where we are this morning. Genesis chapter 6. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, we, uh, we have gone from, of course, Enoch last week, and we're moving through some of the major uh, men, especially uh, of the Old Testament and uh, early, early in history. And here we are in Genesis chapter 6, of course, and uh, you have what has become ultimately of mankind. Now, Noah uh, shows up. We know who he is uh, overall, right? Uh, he shows up there at the end of chapter 5, and uh, he is approximately somewhere around uh, uh, 126 years after Adam dies uh, by the time Noah uh, by the time of Noah being on the face of the earth, more than likely uh, it's estimated that there could have been actually uh, billions of people living on the earth by this point. Uh, it, could be, it could be that the way that things were multiplying and the amount of time that has gone by, uh, you, you could possibly have uh, billions of people on the planet. That is not uh, out of the realm of possibility as you multiply out. Uh, but uh, either way, there is a large population on the planet and we're getting out to about 2300, 2344 BC is uh, is estimated when the flood actually occurred, and so you're talking uh, somewhere around 1650 years. Mankind has been removed from the garden and so on, and uh, as you get into it, and so you're talking uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, and so that's a lot of time. That's a lot of uh, ability to multiply. And that is uh, the possibility that we could have billions of people on the earth at this particular moment when the flood is going to take place. And so we get to this time period, and we get to Genesis chapter 6, and we have really the time period of the flood. And really what is happening and why does God do these things is important. And so uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 1 and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all the which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, uh, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me, not, uh, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, notice, uh, first of all, you'll have uh, this group of people and what is happening uh, on the face of the earth. Now, I'm not going to get into the sons of God and the daughters of men and all of that. We know, uh, and if you've got questions about it, you can ask me, but the sons of God in the Old Testament are angels, and they leave their first estate, and they come down, and uh, you get a byproduct that is not natural. It becomes giants uh, in those days, and that becomes part of pollution uh, and the pollution of flesh that has happened, but there's more than that. And so we will uh, go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and we'll get into this morning on Noah here in Genesis chapter 6. Father, we thank you for the day, and thank you once again for being good to us. 
Lord, your mercies are renewed every morning, and we thank you that you were merciful again to us, Lord, and allowed us to be here today. I pray that you would uh, bless, bless the Sunday school hour, bless the services this day. Father, be with uh, those that are teaching right now, that you would put your hand upon them, and Father, help them to say what they ought to say today, Lord, that you would uh, just work in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Father, that the Word of God would go forth. You'd be with pastor as he preaches that, Lord, you'd give him great wisdom and understanding, Lord, as he preaches today. And Father, we pray you would help us to have hearts and ears to hear what you have for us, that we would be changed, Lord, because of how great things the Lord hath done for us. We pray once again, you'd come back soon to take us home in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Genesis chapter 6, and uh, you've, got, you've got the state of really uh, the people on the earth. Now notice what he says in verse number uh, verse number 9, he says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And, the, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Uh, so here he is, and he is going to bring destruction. And the reason he is, is ultimately because of the people. Uh, the choices that mankind has made right now has caused, uh, ultimately, uh, mankind's failure has caused God to bring judgment. Now, uh, the people in Noah's day, uh, ultimately they're corrupt. Uh, that's, they've corrupted. Uh, they're violent. Uh, they're ungodly, ultimately. Uh, Noah is, is the odd one. Uh, he hearkens back to Enoch. Uh, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Uh, but here's Noah, and Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because Noah walked with God. Uh, he is the great contrast between his day, and I'll get to that here shortly, uh, but he is the great contrast between his day and the rest of the people on the earth. Uh, he is an anomaly in relation to them. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But uh, God goes ahead and he looks down and he sees that the, uh, notice that the imagination of their heart is only evil continually. It's their choices. It's their thoughts. It's uh, verse number five there. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is mankind's state here. That's the people. Uh, continually evil and the thoughts and the intents of what they do are all continuously evil. Uh, mankind looks on the outward, but the Lord always looks on the heart. Uh, God sees our thoughts. He sees our daydreams. He sees the plans that we try to make. He sees all those thoughts and, and the intents of what we have to do. And the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 28, he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the, the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Uh, the Lord understands our hearts. He searches all hearts. He's checking everybody. Uh, and as he's looking around in Genesis chapter 6, you know what he finds? That they're only evil continually. Uh, they, don't even, they don't even care about being good. And they don't care about being godly. And he's looking around, and it's amazing to me. Uh, I'll give you this little contrast. Uh, the devil walks around in Job chapter 1. What's he doing? 
He's seeking whom he may devour. That's what he's doing. He's looking for Joe. Well, where'd you come from? Well, I was walking about to and fro throughout all the earth and walking up and down in it. We find out in Peter, right? He's the roaring lion. He's looking for somebody he can get to. Well, the eyes of the Lord, they go to and fro throughout all the earth. Say, what's he looking for? He's looking for, for the heart. A heart that would seek him. A heart that would follow him. A heart that be, would be willing. As opposed to the hearts that he's finding here in Genesis chapter 6, outside of Noah and his perfect generation, there's nobody else. And he's looking around and the Lord goes ahead and he sends the word of God. As quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He tries the hearts. He moves. He tries to make sure he understands what man is doing. He's watching them, and there is no creature, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, whether it's our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings and what we want and our desires, uh, the Lord knows. And because that evil heart was there and they are not going to repent and they are going the way they want to go, uh, hold your place right here. Go over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse number 23, he gives the warning. He says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. That's the warning. The warning is stay on the right course. The warning is you've got to keep your heart with all diligence. You've got to be diligent about it. Uh, what happens to man? They don't get diligent. They don't stay that way. And so what do they do? They decide to turn from him, and what are they going to get? They're going to go to all the things that they want, the desires of our heart. Our flesh wants what it wants, and it runs to evil. It's what we are. And you let your thoughts run, you know how that goes. You let those thoughts keep rolling through, and rolling through, and rolling through, you know what you'll get? You'll go the course of what you're thinking. You know, nobody. you go, well, I don't know how that person could do such a terrible thing, because they were thinking about it long enough. That's how they did it. They were thinking about it long before they ever did it. They were planning, and they were thinking. And well, if I could, and the opportunity hadn't arose, but when it did, they took it. Because they'd already planned it. They'd already been thinking. And mankind's thoughts are only evil continually. Get back to Genesis chapter 6. Mankind's thoughts are only evil continually. And these are the people that Noah is living around and among. Their evil heart is not repented of. They choose to go the direction they're going to go. And the Lord reminds us that in as the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. Uh, you look around today. If you don't think the wickedness of man is great in the earth, I don't understand you. Uh, when, you, when, you have to, you, when you have people on the planet who don't understand what a boy and a girl are, 
That's the world we live in. If I think I'm a girl, then I should be able to be a girl and go into the women's restroom and the girls' locker room at school and do... That's, that is wicked, is what that is. That's evil continually. That is a constant of evil continually. And that is constantly pushed upon you today. Constantly. Constantly and consistently. When you have to deal with the world, it is, well, if I feel it, it should be okay. The idea of the truth and that there is absolute truth in any respect becomes the idea of just complete and utter laughter to them. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. Yeah, that's your problem. You're wrong and you won't let anybody tell you. So then you cancel everybody. Well, if you don't agree with me, then I cancel you. Okay, go ahead and live in a vacuum. That doesn't make you right. Uh, People can be very sincere and be sincerely wrong. And that's the sad truth. The sad truth is they live in a world that has deceived them, and the devil's deceived them, and a world system's deceived them, and their flesh is deceiving them. And let's face it, the idea of taking a kid, and I'm trying to give you the reality of what the world is doing right now. You take a kid that is 8 years old, 10 years old, They don't understand what's happening to them. They don't understand what feelings they're having. They don't understand why they feel the way that they feel. And they don't like what's happening to them. And so I don't feel, I don't want to be a boy today. I want to be a girl. I don't want to be a girl. I want to be a boy because I don't like what's happening to me. And you're going to let them make a decision that's going to change their entire life? That's wicked. Go in and and do surgeries and, and injections and change this and change that and do this and the things that are unseemly. Your job is to protect them. It's not to go ahead and run to their whims. And a world today is run by children. And that's foolish. And I won't get into all those verses, but you can go ahead and read the prophecies on that through the prophets when their children reign over them. Anyways, uh, get me all fired up. Uh, that's the world you're in. That's America in 2022, is that if a kid wants to do it, well, why should we restrain them from going that direction? Why should we hold them up and stop them and curb them in? Why, would we, why wouldn't we just let them do whatever it is they want to do? Because they have no idea what they want to do. They have no clue. A 10-year-old kid has no idea what they should do. Your job is to guide them so that they don't do something they're going to regret for the rest of time. You're supposed to, and the world doesn't want to protect them anymore. Why protect their innocence? Why protect who they could be? Go ahead and go ahead and kill them before they even have a chance to get a breath. That's the world's idea. Say, so what is that? That's wicked. Uh, by the way, that's violence. Isn't that what they were? They're violent. That's all violence. And you know what they tell you? They tell you that if I said that, because I said that right there, uh, that's, hate, that's hateful. I, I'm hurting them. They say, that's a crime. I, I, I hurt them. No, that's the truth. And there was no violence there. I, I'm there to protect them. I'm not there to hurt them. And they don't want to see it that way. And they're, they've gone absolutely insane over all this stuff. And I could go on and on and on. And we could get into worse and worse and worse things because there's worse and worse and worse. 
And we can keep going, but the truth is, you're in a world that is absolutely corrupted. Corruption has permeated. And even here in the United States of America, it's permeating. And it's going everywhere. And it's ruining, it's ruining the world. And the sad reality is that God ultimately is going to be forced into judgment. He has to judge. Because that's who He is. We'll get to that here soon. He can't get around it. In fact, God's desire for mankind is to go ahead and turn and repent. That's what He wants. He wants mankind to be in a relationship with Him. He has always wanted mankind to have a relationship with Him. His desire, He says He taketh no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In contrast to that, He says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. It's precious when He gets to bring us home. It is no pleasure for Him when a wicked man has to die. Why? Because he wants him to repent. He wants him to be one of the saints. He says in Ezekiel 18, verse number 32, For I have no pleasure in him, uh, in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Turn and live. Go ahead and repent. Change directions. That's the Lord's desire. That is his desire. And he is so merciful and gracious. And I'm going to get into that here in a minute. He's merciful and he's gracious and he's long-suffering for us to be able to have the time we need to be able to turn and to give us space, he says in Revelation. He gave her space to repent and she repented not. They're coming into the promised land and, uh, and they're walking in and they're coming in as an army and he says, uh, don't go that way. Why? Well, because the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I'm not wiping them out yet. I got somebody more wicked you can take care of before I get to them. That's merciful and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. That's who he is. But he can't at all acquit the guilty. He's got to bring judgment. If he's a just and a holy God, he can't let it go forever. And because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil continually. Well, there's the problem. It's a heart problem. It's always a heart problem. Our problem when we get sideways with the Lord, you know what it is? It's a heart problem. We loved something we shouldn't have loved. We let something fall in, in the way between us and loving our Savior and something got trapped in there and you and I need our, our wickedness of our heart shows up and we need to get rid of it. And God knows all about it. God knows when you're not in step with Him. God knows when you've got wickedness in there. God knows when you're thinking the way the world wants you to think. When, you're start, when you start excusing all the things that they do. And you start enjoying the things that they do, maybe. And the Lord says, hey, that's, that's between you and me now. Now we got a problem. And the Lord knows and you know. You know the amazing thing? Uh, I have no idea when your heart's right with the Lord. I don't know. You're here at Sunday school. I don't know if you're right with the Lord. So well, I'm here at Sunday school. Well, if that's the only indicator, then I guess we're all great. But that's not the only indicator. You can't guarantee anybody's right with the Lord. You know who can? Them and the Lord. And you know when it's not right. Isn't it amazing? You know when it's just not quite right. And you may not know why it's not right yet, but you know something's not quite right. I either didn't do something or I did something. Those are usually the two, right? Either I did or I didn't. And now which one is it? I've got to figure that out. 
and get that fixed so that my relationship with him can be good so that I am not like the rest of the world. Noah was not like the rest of the world of his day because he walked with God. It is amazing. Uh, Enoch, the only type of a raptured church in the Old Testament is Enoch, and he walked with God. The only person and his family who is about to be saved from the rest of the world being flooded walked with God. Spared judgment. Say, how do you get spared judgment? Walk with God. You walk with God, you know what you get? Spared judgment. You say, is Noah sinless? No, Noah's not sinless. It doesn't say he was sinless. But it does say that he was a just man. Verse number 9, he was a perfect in his generations. And he walked with God. If he was sinless, you know what he didn't need? He didn't need verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't need that spot right there. Now the Lord is gracious and He's merciful and He's long-suffering and all the things. And Noah wasn't perfect in the idea of sinless. Enoch wasn't perfect in the idea of sinless. That's why he had to get translated. (laughs) But what he was, was he was a man who got the grace of God in his life. And I can't go into everything about grace right here. uh, But the truth is, God gave him... Not just the idea of his salvation here, but he gave him something so that he could stand in an evil day when nobody else was standing. That's gracious. You say, what do we need? We need that same grace. Now notice, I already read most of this, uh, so I won't read it again uh, for the sake of time, but from verse 8 all the way through uh, down to verse number 18, Uh, We're going to get into some promises here at the end. Uh, But Noah, uh, whose name means rest, uh, he was one of the few who had separated himself. He's one of the few who have not followed. He's one of the few that have not gone the way the rest of the world wanted to go. The Lord looked around, and as he's trying the hearts and he's looking over, you know who he finds? He finds Noah. Just one. He finds Noah. And God goes ahead and in his mercy, he gives the earth 120 years before he will destroy it. That's a good heads up. I mean, he only gave Nineveh 40 days. And Nineveh figured it out. He gave an entire world 120 years and they couldn't get it. How sad is that? Man has broken God's heart. He has gone against Him. In fact, he has gone to only evil continually. No seeking Him. No repenting. No wanting to repent. No change. No hope. And they've continued to go that direction and the Lord is going, I just wanted you. Say, so what does he have to do? Well, he doesn't want any to perish, but he is stuck bringing judgment. And so he gives the warning of judgment. Isn't it amazing the Lord gives us warnings before he judges us? Isn't that a merciful God? We know better. We do the wrong thing. You know what he still does? 
Hey, you want to get that right before I have to? He does it over and over again. Isn't he patient with you? His patient with an entire earth gave him 120 years. 120 years to fix it. <laughs> and the world just kept rolling in the same direction with no stops, no pauses. Say, what could he have done? I don't know. Maybe he could have, maybe he could have uh, brought some other destructions in their lives. Maybe he could have shook them up just a little bit and had some terrorist attacks happen on their soil. Isn't that what we had? And all of a sudden, everybody turned toward God for half a second. And that's about as long as it lasted. They turned, and God help us. Okay, now I'm going to go about my business again. And you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of this. That an unclean spirit goes out of a man. God help me. Okay, I'm willing to help. But nothing new came in. They didn't make a real change. They wanted the God of a Band-Aid. And they got it. And they turn around and they walk away and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Who'd think we'd be 21 years and this is what it looked like from there? Boy, this is doom and gloom right here. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get there. We'll get there. God goes ahead and he labors on giving Noah all the instructions he needs. He tells him in verse number 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. Uh, make it of, I'm sorry, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits, the, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above at the door of the ark, uh, shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. The Lord goes ahead and he gives Noah the instructions to build the ark and the warning of exactly what is about to come. I'm going to bring a flood of waters. I am destroying everything that has the breath of life in it is going to be destroyed. I am wiping this place out and you and your sons and your wives are all getting on a boat <laughs> and you're going to build it and you're going to build it of this wood and you're going to pitch it within and without. You're going to do all these things. And this is exactly, and this is the layout. And this is what you're going to build me. And everybody's going to get in and we're going to be fine. He gives them the whole plan. The instructions are there. The instructions of how to be saved from the flood are all right there. And you and I were given clear instructions on how to escape a judgment of our own. Mankind has simple instructions. Noah's 
although he's got a lot of work to do, Noah's got simple instructions. And he's got plenty of time to get the work done. He's got 120 years. He's got 120 years to get the boat done. He's got 120 years to, to get everything organized. He's got it all. It's simple. Might be a lot of work, but it's simple. The Lord looks at us and he goes, I got no work for you. I'll keep it really simple. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is. Simple. One of the simplest verses in all of the Bible gives you everlasting life. Tells you exactly how to get it. He makes it clear. He makes it very specific what happens without him. In fact, he says it, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so I believe him and I get everlasting life. I don't believe him and I have condemnation. Okay, that's simple. I don't like the idea of condemnation, so I should probably trust him. See, boom, there it is. It's very simple. The Lord makes it very clear. He goes ahead and takes care of those pieces. The question comes, are you going to obey or are you not going to obey? Are you going to build an ark or are you going to? You don't have to. But if you want salvation, this is what you got to do. Noah, if you want salvation from this flood, I'm wiping the place out. I'm letting you know it's all going to be gone. And everybody who's got breath, they're dying. Unless they get on this boat. And you're building. Now, I'll get into the preparation here in just a second. But uh, the Lord's promise to him is, I'm sending it. It's a promise of judgment. But it is also a promise of preservation. Both of those are there. God has to bring judgment because he can't get out of that. He has to bring judgment. That's why Jesus Christ has to die for our sins. Because he has to, somebody has to fulfill the judgment side of what God has to punish. Jesus Christ takes our punishment at Calvary. Judgment has to be paid. So judgment is paid for us at Calvary. And then he says, okay, but if you want salvation, you've got to get in the boat. You realize Noah could build the ark. And if he doesn't get in, he's still just as dead as everybody else. If he doesn't get on the boat, he's, he's drowning just like anybody else. There wasn't a special thing where he's like, okay, well, you built the ark, great job. Now you get to be spared miraculously by all these other things. Nope, it was one boat, it was one task. He finished his task, he needs to get on the boat. Our case, the Lord had a task, he finished his task, and now you just have to get on the boat. That's all there is to it. You have to get on board with him. You have to trust him. You have to believe before the door closes that, Noah, you, you built an ark and I'm going to trust that it's going to keep me alive. That's what I'm getting into. That'll, that'll make it so I'm spared. On the opposite side, the Lord, uh, I know, before a trumpet sounds, Lord, I know that you are going to go ahead and protect me through my judgment. And I'll trust you. Both take faith. It hasn't rained, we know. I'm not going to cover all these things, but it hasn't rained. We're going to cover this next time. Hasn't rained on the earth ever. And now the Lord's going to make water fall from the sky. 
and do something miraculous. You know what they had to do? They had to believe that God was actually going to bring judgment. And if he's going to bring judgment, I better get in this boat. The sad reality is most people figure out far too late that judgment is actually going to come. We'll get into that here now. Uh, he goes ahead and wants him to prepare the ark. We read some of the verses already. Uh, and the preparation shows up. You've got, uh, you've got the ark, of course. And it's basically going to be a floating box. There's not really, uh, you know, it's not like a sailing vessel. This is just uh, an ark. It's, it's a box. Uh, and, you know, more than likely just flat-bottomed box. That's it. Uh, it's made of gopher wood. Uh, most likely like a cedar or a cypress is what gopher wood is. Uh, of course, he tells him to build rooms. So there's plenty of rooms inside uh, that he builds. And the pitch uh, that he goes ahead and, and puts on there, he pitches it within and without, inside and outside. Uh, it's basically like a, uh, a waterproofing uh, waterproofing seal on the inside and the outside. fills all the gaps and the cracks and all the things and makes it so that no water is going to be getting into the ship. Of course, he does it inside and outside to ensure uh, the coverage there so you don't have an issue. Uh, the ark itself is, of course, uh, he lists it in cubits here, right? Uh, it's 300 cubits long, uh, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Uh, so standard, we believe a cubit's supposed to be 18 inches approximately. It's from the elbow out to the tip of the finger, right? 18 inches approximately. So if you'd like, I'll do the math for you. Uh, at 18 inches, we're about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. That's the boat. That is big, in case you were curious. Uh, if you'd like to know, uh, that is a total square footage of 101,000 square feet. That is big. 101,000 square feet. Uh, I was going to do the floor of this church for you really quick, which is 40 by 80, I believe. Right, right, Russ? Did I get that right? No. Which one is this? Uh, for the auditorium? Just this room? I thought it was 40 for this, for, for this room. We can count ceiling tiles real quick. 44 feet from... All right, so 44 by 80. I'm going to go 40 by 80 because that makes math easier, so I'm going to do that. So that's 3,200 square feet just on the floor where you're sitting. That's 3,200. That's it. 101, did I say? 101,000 square feet. So you've got, you got 3,000 right here. <laughs> now you're multiplying that out by... Uh, 30, by 30, did I get that right? 31, 32, somewhere in there, 33. Uh, square feet, that was just square footage. Square feet of living space on the uh, 31. All right, thanks. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, this is what happens when you don't do your math ahead of time. Amen. Um, and so 31 of our auditoriums, just the floor of the auditorium. That's a lot of space to roam. So, and then you've got, well, I think that includes each story. So, um, and so you've got 15-foot ceilings on these three stories. And the upper deck, of course, has one door 
there's, there's a window on the upper deck and one door on the side, and that is it. That's it. That's a lot of moving. <laughs> That's a lot of area. Now, I haven't been able to go to the Ark Encounter yet, but I hear it's amazing. And so you can feel free to go. Uh, if you have a question, you can talk. I think the Kyles have gone now as well, and the Sheltons have gone, and uh, the Connollys went. So, uh, But if you haven't gone, I know I want to go. Uh, it's pretty awesome. And give you at least a picture and an idea. Uh, this, is, this is a huge undertaking. This is not something small. Uh, of course, and uh, it, is, it is designed to be large enough to do what God needed it to do. Uh, and the Lord is preparing this. He's got Noah preparing this. He's got it all set out. Uh, the equivalency, I'll go ahead and do some of these. Uh, 569 modern railroad stock cars, 40 feet long each. The train would be five and a half miles long. That would be the equivalent. 569 stock cars on a railroad. That's pretty good. Uh, we have uh, the Lord directing, of course, in chapter 6 and verse number 20, uh, or verse number 19, I'm sorry, of, and of every living thing, of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing. Of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come to the, unto thee to keep them alive, and thou shalt and uh, and take thou of thee all of all food uh, that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he, uh, and so the Lord is bringing in, and uh, notice uh, in chapter seven. Oh, verse number two, he says this, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls of the air by sevens, the male of the, and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. Uh, and so, you know, the statement is, well, uh, just two of every animal, uh, you know, and all these things. No, it's not. It's not just two of every animal, all right? Uh, in fact, it's not even two of literally every animal anyways. Uh, you go ahead and, as he did in the Garden of Eden, uh, he goes ahead and makes two of every sort uh, or family that came into the ark. One male and one female. Uh, the unclean, he has two sets. And the clean, he has seven sets. That's what it says. He brings up male and female, seven well, seven male and female equals 14. All right, that's not difficult. You say, well, why has he got more clean animals? Uh, because he needs them. He's going to make sacrifices with them, right? Noah gets off the boat, and he's making sacrifices. The clean animals that he's putting on there, he needs more of, because not only is he going to sacrifice them there, he's also going to be sacrificing them as time goes on. He needs them to multiply faster so that he can have more of them so, that he can, so the Lord already has the math worked out. Unlike me this morning, the Lord had the math worked out, all right? And so he goes ahead and he, he goes, no, we need seven and we need these. And he brings them and they're every kind. Now, interestingly enough, I'll just go ahead and do a couple of these numbers here. Uh, you've got six different types of animals in a family that can crossbreed. And that would give you every variant strain in every family of animals. 
That's it. Six. He brings in the six for these, and you can get everything else from that. He brings six of these, and you can bring everything else from that. You only need six dogs, all right? <laughs> and everything else can go. That's all he needs. Uh, and he, you can get all the variations from just those. And so it's not a question of, well, he had to bring in, you know, every, every type of dog so we can have every type of dog. No, he didn't have to do that. There's no need to do that. Uh, he sets it up just the way he needs to. Uh, and so for every, every variant to survive, you'd have just six different types so you can crossbreed and produce what you needed to produce. Uh, you've got 60% uh, of all the animals in the world are insects. You don't need to put them on a boat. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need it. They're not taking up animal space. They're, they're fine. Uh, you've got, uh, of the remaining 40%, more than 30% of those are fish. I don't think you need to save fish from drowning. Just checking. Um, really large animals, like behemoth uh, and things, would have no problem fitting in the ark. And some of them could have just been babies that got brought in. You don't need a full-grown animal to go onto the ark. Uh, this is one of those things where common sense goes a long way. All right? Uh, amazingly enough, he just needs a male and a female to produce later. Uh, and so it didn't have to be a full-grown monster of an animal. Uh, all food that they ate was brought on the ark for themselves and for the animals, so everything is taken care of that way. Uh, and the Lord goes ahead, and you have all this preparation. All of it's prepared. Everything's ready to go. The Lord's going to bring the animals. Everybody's going to have the, and there's all these rooms. All, let, all set up and ready to go, and it's all set. God tells Noah about the flood somewhere around the age of 480 to 500 years old. Noah is told that there's a flood coming, and it's time to start building. Shem is uh, about 100 years old when the flood comes. And so, of course, the flood does come eventually, and we'll be talking about the flood next week. But Noah is uh, somewhere around 600 years old when the flood comes. Shem's about 100 years old, and the Lord has been or uh, Noah's been building an ark to the saving of his house. Amazingly enough, Noah is going to head and put some wood together to save his family. Yeah, there it is. Light bulbs all just came on. Look at that. I just watched it all the way across the room. It was wonderful. The Lord goes ahead and goes, I've got two pieces of wood I'll put together. And I'll save an entire world if they want it. Uh, the typology is so huge right here. Uh, and I, I mean, I literally could do this for a very long time. Uh, the typology and the choices and the things that people do. And the Lord has this set up later. But this is just true of what he does to save mankind repeatedly. He goes ahead and, right, he, he, we understand man can be wicked and man can be exceedingly wicked. In this case, he is extremely wicked, and the imaginations of his heart are only evil continually. And he goes ahead, and uh, God says, I've got a plan, and by the way, uh, I've got a plan, and we're going to prepare a place, John 14, that has a lot of room for everybody. Maybe many mansions, are. I don't know, you know. Uh, and he goes ahead, and he makes room enough, and it's so huge that it's, uh, 
it's almost incomprehensible how big it is in your mind. Isn't that amazing? The ark is hard. I mean, we think about it. We got all the numbers, right? And you can put all the numbers together. But even me just doing this, this room and then having to multiply this room in your brain out that far, you're like, I don't, I don't know how I can do that. <laughs> how does your brain, you know, comprehend without seeing it and just trying to mentally put that out there, how huge the footprint would be for the ark. How large of a space he had to make to go ahead and put. And so people go, well, that can't be big enough. I just don't think you can imagine how big it actually was. Our problem isn't, isn't that God can't figure out the math. He's already got the math. He already figured out that you and I could trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and have salvation forever. He's already got the plan. God's never short on having the right plan. It's mankind who's short on believing in the plan. It's our job, it's our job to believe He's got a plan. It's His job to have the plan, and He always does. Uh, the hardest part about Jericho's defeat is not the walls falling down. It is that the people actually would believe Joshua that they walk around and shout and blow some trumpets, and the walls are just going to fall down. Uh, that's much more, much more difficult to believe that that would happen rather than the idea that, well, we could try and take the city. Well, no, it's much, more, it's much harder to believe that we could just walk around and yell at it and it's going to fall over. That's more unbelievable than trying to mount an army and go ahead and siege the place. And the Lord knows uh, a lot of times you and I get in spots and the reason that we struggle is because we don't believe Him and get in the boat. We just don't get on board with what plan he had. And if we would, we'd probably save ourselves from a whole lot of trouble. But anyways, i got to stop, so I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right there, and uh, I hope that was much more uplifting at the end. I know the, the early spot there, that was a little rough, but uh, there's always... Uh, hey, by the way, let me just... I'll slide this in. This will make you happier. Uh, before the Lord rains down judgment upon the rest... He always saves his own. And so you don't have to worry about any of that. It may look terrible out there, but a trumpet's coming. And we're going home. Father, I thank you for the day. We thank you for your goodness and your mercies upon us in particular. And Father, we pray that you would bless our services today. I pray if someone comes in lost, they wouldn't leave that way. They'd call upon Jesus Christ alone. They'd get in the boat and trust him as their Savior. And Father, once again, we pray you would uh, just bless Pastor Legault, strengthen and help him, give him wisdom. Lord, as he speaks, and help us to have ears to hear and hearts ready to change and to do what you want us to do. Father, I pray you would draw us near today in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. All right, take a break.